Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. This week, we're covering a different type of topic and in a different type of format. One of the questions that I get asked most often is, how can I have more energy throughout the day? And how can I be less hungry between my meals? And it's it's a good question. There is actually an answer. But rather than me getting on here, rambling out a few ideas for you to take away, I thought it would probably be good to have someone who's experienced this join me. So this week, I'm joined by Paul Kemper. Paul has been on the show before episode number 33, where we talked about how to manage blood sugars in the backcountry. Paul is a, he's a type 1 diabetic, and he's worked a little bit with Valley to Peak, although what you'll hear in here is exactly true. The things that Paul and I talked about that he had such great success with wasn't because of these detailed, really intricate things. I gave him a couple of pieces of advice, he followed it, and it had dramatic improvements, giving him practical tips that he could implement and that you can implement too. So Paul joins me as we talk about three or four specific things that make up meals that, as you'll hear about, we do talk about blood sugars, we do talk about insulin, we do talk about some of these things. But more importantly, if those things don't fit in your life, if those things aren't necessarily relevant to you, You could exchange those words for how to have more fullness between meals, how to have better energy, how to stop experiencing these midday drops in energy at two, three in the afternoon, just by focusing on a couple of different things within your meal plan. Now, one thing I would ask is that you listen to the full episode, because in the beginning, as we're trying to get some footing in our conversations, some of it sounds kind of mystical about eating things in a certain order from eating your protein first, and then followed by your spinach, and then followed by your carbohydrate to maximize. Listen to the full thing to get full context. And then of course, if you've got any questions after you hear it, send me a message. I'd be more than happy to answer those. Paul leaves his contact information and he would be happy to answer those as too. I think that whether you are diabetic, not diabetic, active, not active, any of those things, you're going to find something in this that's applicable to your life. And more importantly, that you can apply and see some dramatic improvements throughout the course of your day. So without further ado, here's Paul and I talking about three things to better manage energy throughout the course of your day. All right. So welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. I'm joined by Paul Kemper. Again, Paul was with us back on, I had to go look this up, episode 33, where we talked about managing blood sugars in the backcountry. And the topic of the episode today is a little bit different. This is more about managing blood sugars on like a day-to-day type of a life. Now, that can, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think that people can probably who aren't diabetic hear that and try to just like turn this off thinking it's not applicable to them. But I think that it is. Do you think that's true? Yeah, absolutely. There were just, there were little tricks. You know, I think people want like some big sweeping crazy solution to these little problems we face day to day. And so it's just these little I want to call them tricks or just little pieces of knowledge that it's like, oh my gosh, this little bit goes such a long way in energy consistency for me, the way my insulin operates with my body, but for someone who's not diabetic, just how that, that nutrition gets 
better utilized. And I think it's, uh, I love that you said, uh, it's easy to say like, oh, these little tricks, because it's just a phrase that rolls off the tongue, but you're, you corrected, you're like, it's not even a trick, because you're right, it's not a trick. And I think it's one thing for, you know, uh, me, non-diabetic, Mr. Theory, right? Some of these things sound great in theory, but never work in practice to get on something like this and say, you know, here's what you should try to better manage your blood sugars. It's another thing for a guy who's implemented stuff like this um, to come on and say, look, not only is this what I personally have tried, but here's what I've observed from that, right? I mean, really, you can't, you know, that information is only as good as if it's been qualified or quantified by someone. And going back to the original statement, even if someone's not diabetic, you said this just a second ago. I think it's applicable because there's nothing else that I know of that can better manage energy levels. So regardless of a person, if they're diabetic or not a diabetic, or they have any sort of condition, and I hate even attaching the label to that because it almost sounds like a person's like on not able body or something. And that's not the case at all. You're, you're like the primo example of that is as active as you are. Um, but one of the questions I get all of the time is how can I prevent these midday lulls and have more consistent energy over the course of the day? And so this is probably the number one suggestion that I can think of to do that, as well as trying to balance satiety. I get so hungry in between meals. How can I better manage that? And I think that this is, is one of those. So what we're going to talk today about is something like we'll just put an overarching umbrella of it uh, called mixed meal composition. That's a very heady term. But what we mean by that is when we sit down and we eat, we're not just eating a siloed food. So I'll give you an example. I sit down and eat a bowl of rice. That would be a siloed food, right? You're just eating rice, high in carbohydrate. There's nothing else in there. Mixed meal composition is the inclusion of three things specifically, protein, fat, and fiber. So from the heady knowledge of that, that's going to slow how fast the carbohydrate gets processed, digested, released from the stomach, which ultimately means less spikes, peaks and valleys in energy, and more relevant so for all of us, less peaks and valleys in our blood sugar, which is what translates into dips and valleys into um, our energy. I would love like just a 30 foot overview, you know, big picture perspective from you. What's been your observation as you've started doing, you know, you, you've really paid attention to stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like overall, I thought I did a good job of eating pretty balanced meals. But until you start tracking things and seeing an actual, you know, on, on paper representation of what you're eating, do you see what's actually going on? Yeah. As I started doing that, you know, early on in my weight loss journey, I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna have cottage cheese and egg whites for breakfast. And then I have a blood sugar spike and I would just wonder like, okay, well, I didn't have any carbs. What's going on here? And then you and I talked about the relationship of how those egg whites are how bioavailable they are, how they, you know, are easily digested, you know, cause a spike, how can fats play a role? All of a sudden I'm incorporating an egg or two into that egg white, balancing some more fats. There were just like, when I said tricks, you know, it's not a trick, it's tracking it and seeing these 
kind of one-off instances, you know, didn't make sense at the time, but when you had it on paper, we're able to go back and reference how a shortcoming in one element of that mixed meal could throw things out of balance. Yeah. And so what you're like, what, what Paul is describing is types of protein can also have a dramatic effect on our energy levels and how full something makes us feel. So when you look at different types of proteins, some of them are processed faster by our body. Some of them are processed slower. And two of the big kind of like bodybuilding bro ones are egg whites and whey protein. And so a lot of the reason bodybuilders are always eating egg whites and whey protein, one is because it's a great source of lean protein, but two, it's got a really high rate of absorption. Now we could sit here and debate whether or not that matters. It doesn't, (laughs) but they think that it does. But what that means for us, for everybody, diabetic, not diabetic, or what have you, you get a peak satiety. So you, you feel full when you're eating the meal. But that doesn't that fullness feeling does not sit with you very long. It's 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 it, its onset is very quick, but its lasting effect is very low. So an hour and a half later, after a bowl of egg whites or a whey protein drink, you're wanting something different because your body's processed it all the way completely. Now, the type of protein, which is not necessarily tied to fat, fiber, and protein that we talked about earlier does have an effect on your energy levels, your satiety, and um, the other things. So like what Paul is describing is even if you're not eating carbs, it's possible to experience these spikes and dips in blood sugar, which again, if you're not diabetic, could also mean it's possible to experience these spikes and dips in energy levels, spikes and dips in how full you are, spikes and dips in how hungry you are. So the types of things that you're eating can also play a role in that. Well, then like, what's the remedy? So if you, when you went from eating just straight egg whites, just straight protein powder, two questions would be one, what protein sources have you noticed don't do that? Like, what would you suggest outside of that? And then two, how much of a lasting effect did it have? How long does a meal sit with you now, as opposed to when you would just sit down and eat, you know, however many egg whites it was that you would eat? It wasn't so much that I changed that, you know, like period of time where I just ate a lot of eggs and egg whites left my diet. And it was like, my friends have chickens and they gave me a ton of delicious eggs that had bright orange yolks. And I was like, man, I really got to eat these things. But like whole eggs, I did not have the same experience as far as a spike in glucose. And with those egg whites, just adding in a couple eggs with the yolks to get that fat and even a little bit of shredded cheese on top to add some more fat to that equation. You know, I'd start there and then maybe have spinach as well. So I'd lead with a fiber, go into a fat before I'd have the toast and try to eat things in an order that made a little bit more sense for, you know, one, allowing my insulin to get into my system but to just the digestion process. No, I think that that's it. That's so that's a first, that's a good place to stop. So like what, what Paul's describing is he would, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you would sit down to, let's say you'd make some egg whites, you'd make some spinach along with those egg whites, you'd make a slice of toast and I don't know, a piece of fruit or whatever. You would sort of lead with having some sort of a protein. Then you would follow that up with spinach, which would be kind of your source of fiber then you would follow up with whatever the carb was, right? And so in effect, what you're saying is you led with those realizing, okay, your body's going to recognize these nutrients. 
that's going to slow the digestion of the carbohydrate and bring about a better balance of your blood sugars. Totally. I mean, and you and I talked about like oatmeal, for example, I went on a brief crusade against oatmeal because I was so frustrated with like, I love eating oatmeal. And it was once in a very blue moon that I could guess the bolus correctly enough to not have a giant spike timing the bolus and other things. Now I can have an oatmeal have a relatively small spike. There's still going to be that, that little bit of a lift, but it's, you know, going from uh, 120 blood sugar to 180 after eating oatmeal is very different from going 120 to 360 and feeling really crappy for, you know, a portion of the day. Yeah. So exactly kind of what he's describing is the composition of the meal can really affect that type of spike that you feel. And so again, if you're not a diabetic, you're not really worried about these blood sugar spikes, although it seems like more and more people who aren't diabetics are focusing on that. You may care about it because you could exchange the words blood sugar spike for energy spikes or for fullness spikes and lulls or, or what have you. Now, the one like point of clarification I think that I will make is you don't have to space it out the exact way that Paul did. Like you don't have to lead with a protein and then follow it with a source of fiber and then have your toast. I mean, for example, you could scramble the egg whites with the spinach and throw that on a slice of bread and eat it all at one time too. So the, the, the main idea like to focus on is you want to make sure that the meal itself has a mixed nutrient combination. You're not just eating a bowl of oats or a slice of bread or a piece of fruit or what have you. Now, yes, there are times that I do that, right? I mean, it's not like it's not like an end-all be-all, but if you're looking for more overall stability in your energy levels over the course of the day, the mixed meal composition, including including fat, fiber, and protein. And I think that your example of a whole egg versus egg whites is a really great example of that because eggs are predominantly fat as opposed to predominantly protein. And so when you bring that in, it's not like you've got to go overhauling your diet completely. You're just looking at different ways to weave that stuff in there. Sure. I mean, and it's just, it's, you know, a lot of this is about finding balance and, you know, I think when I started, you know, cutting weight, uh, you know, my doc was like, hey, your cholesterol is fine, but if it keeps going this way, like, we're going to have to have a conversation. But I was also eating like a dozen eggs every couple of days and a lot of red meat and, a, you know, it wasn't super varied, my protein sources. And then to kind of think about, you know, the way I eat a little more comprehensively, okay, instead of eating six eggs in one sitting, you know, maybe I'll get that amount of protein in whites and then cut back to one or two eggs as a part of that to still get those fats, but just kind of starting to piece the puzzle together a little bit. And all of a sudden, next time I go to the doctor, they're like, holy crap, like your numbers are significantly better, you know? And yeah, it just paints that broader picture of, you know, as you learn and work through it, all of a sudden you kind of paint this broader picture of health where you start working for yourself instead of against yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's a, a great perspective. Like you, you'll get a, you'll get a number that'll be particularly high and you didn't 
you know, I know this because we've obviously had conversations with each other since this. You didn't go in and do like a massive overhaul in, in where you went through your pantry and started throwing stuff out and going to buy stuff that you hated to make this happen. You really just added a few little modifiers and it's easy to call them tricks, but they're not necessarily tricks. They're just, I guess, little pieces of facts that can be challenging to incorporate, but you know, you did a, uh, you did a great job on them. So the, the big, the big picture here is because I, I could see where someone's listening to this and they could get lost in it talking about like a diabetic insulin spike versus someone who's non-diabetic in the insulin spike. The main thing as a part of mem- remembering this is when you're choosing meals, one of the best ways to bring about fullness over the course of the day, more stable energy levels is you want to eat a mixed meal. You want things to have protein. You want things to have fat. You want things to have fiber. You don't just want to eat things in a silo. So again, that would be like, instead of eating a bowl of rice, you have chicken and vegetables along with it. Chicken's the protein, vegetables are the fiber. Instead of just eating a plain tortilla, which I've seen people do, you would want to eat, let's say, make it into a fajita, right? Scramble up some onions, peppers, and mushrooms, and have it with chicken and a little bit of guacamole, guacamole being the fat, chicken being the protein, and then the vegetables being the fiber. So it doesn't have to be anything overly complicated, but that will, what happens is, is in your stomach, it's slowing the digestion and it's basically giving you like a, a small faucet drip of energy over the course of the day, and rather than a large fire hose spigot and then cutting the fire hose water off. Second thing that I think plays a pretty dramatic role, and you can tell me if you did any incorporation of this too, um, is spacing carbs out over the course of the day. So not having meals where there's one huge hit of carbohydrates and then other periods of the day where there's none. So like, let's say, for example, we'll just use a number and we'll make this easy math. If you're going to have 100 grams of carbs in a day, you're spreading that out over 25 grams in four batches as opposed to no batches all course of the day and then evening there's 100 grams right where it's the body's having to handle all 100 at once did you have any experience or exposure or attempts with that yeah one of the one of the things that was tough for me you know i had my calorie allocation and i was a little bit miserly with my carbohydrates just trying to save in case I needed a correction at night. Um, early on, I was having low blood sugars at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, which, you know, I'd go to bed and be like, sweet, I'm a hundred calories under my goal. This is perfect. And then you eat four things of gummies, you're 300 calories over. And it's just like, golly. So I was trying to, you know, save up some towards the end. Um, and what, what ended up happening was because of my lack of carbohydrates throughout the day, evenly spaced, I was more prone to having those lows at night. And so in trying to solve for one, it made the other worse, but just spacing out carbohydrates throughout the day kind of helped those numbers stay more consistent and make me less prone to having a low blood sugar later at night. And so instead of trying to hoard them or not have them early, you know, being able to space that and be a part of that mixed meal, all of a sudden my blood sugars were much more predictable. What my body would do after a workout, after a hard hunt or whatever, 
also became much more predictable. Yeah. I, I think that that's a great point because a lot of times, like the other thing that you'll see. So again, we're talking about, you're talking about managing blood sugars by spacing those out versus saving them up and then kind of coming back to bite you a couple of times. The other thing that you'll see a lot is like, we will try to not even necessarily try, like sometimes it's just the nature of scheduling, not eat all day and then get home. And the mentality is, well, I've not eaten all day. I've got basically a, a pink slip, a free slip to kind of do whatever I want tonight. And the irony is, is that interestingly enough, people will exceed their intake needs based on the goal in the evening at like at, at the mealtime, but then as the night goes on, right? And so the, the, in our heads, we're basically uh, having a conversation with ourselves of, well, I haven't eaten all day, so I can get more ice cream. I can get more popcorn. I can get more what have you. And a lot of times you're not only fighting like the fact that you've got these foods at home and they're available to you, but you're also fighting your hunger hormone is going to be high when it hasn't eaten all day. And it's really hard to shut off if you haven't eaten. Right. And so you're combating two things. One, the idea that, you know, food is in the other room. That's extremely tasty. And then two, your hunger hormone is screaming at you to eat. We're trying to make up for lost time here. And that's really hard to turn down unless you're taking care of that over the course of the day. So, you know, I, I know in the world of intermittent fasting and all of these other different approaches to nutrition, that's an unpopular idea, but I've just seen it come. I, I've just seen personally, this is, this is strictly based on personal experience and observation in doing this, have seen people be more successful if they're spacing that out evenly over the course of the day versus trying to conserve and then come back to bite them in the rear at night. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm guilty of it that I'm a little bit of a calorie hoarder. I'll like try to save it till nine o'clock and I'll come in from, you know, doing a dynamic bench press or something and be like, all right, we're going to crush some pistachio ice cream. Uh, and I like to save that little buffer, but like you said, just like creating that balance it all, it kind of, it all plays into itself. You know, it all builds upon itself or it can kind of tear itself down depending on how you use it. But for me, just creating more balance in my meals and, and thinking about that structure has helped energy, blood sugars. You know, I had my best A1C in probably 24 years in my first three months of us working together and singing your praises, but it was not some, you know, lift the veil you know, here's the secret. It was like, Hey, try tweaking this, try tweaking this and try tweaking this. They were just little tiny changes. I didn't make a broad sweeping shift in my lifestyle. And all of a sudden, just like very simple, basic things that either I didn't act upon sooner or were just on the back burner made huge differences in my energy and my blood sugars and my ability to train and get stronger while working into a deficit. Yeah, a hundred percent. Right. Like I wasn't, I would, I would, I would agree with you. <laughs> I wasn't giving you these, I wasn't writing like daily meal plans for you. I wasn't dosing anything for you. I wasn't doing any of that. It was a few practical tips that when I looked at your logs, I could see it, it, like exactly what we're talking about. When you go to breakfast, add a dose of fat in there with your carbs and your protein, maybe change up the protein because the complaint was, I'm hungry an hour later. 
And I could look at that and see the pattern was, here's what you were eating for breakfast. I knew that gets processed quick. I knew that was probably leading to high blood sugar, you being hungry sooner than later. So it was a couple of things of like, hey, you know, change this and see if it helps. And to your credit, I mean, it was easy on my part because you were, you knew exactly what to go in there and change. And so you're right. It wasn't earth shattering, mind blowing things. It was a couple of things that I just, I don't think that you just didn't know. And so as you implemented them after it was kind of like, oh, well, that makes sense. You had no issue implementing them not only once, but for, you know, regularly for a long time. And that's, that's, that's to your credit. So again, I think my, my greatest fear in this and in talking about this is that it's going to seem mystical to people, right? Like, oh, well, I eat spinach first, followed by the egg white, followed by the whole grain toast. And that pattern will, no, that's not what, that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's the inclusion of something rather than just carbs. This is the reason Coke is so bad, right? Soda, Sprite, whatever. The, the, the reason soda, one of the reasons soda is so bad. Number one, there's a heavy dose of carbohydrates in a small package. That's not ideal for the liver or the pancreas or us at all. But number two, it's, it's siloed. It's 60 grams of carbohydrates straight to the gut with nothing to blunt that, that, that sugar response. High fructose corn syrup and Coke in and of itself is not the issue. It's the dose. It's the package that it's delivered in. And it's always the problem that we have the biggest thing with, which is the portion or the dose, I guess I already said. So, yeah, you're right. There is no mystical. There is no veil that needs to be lifted. It's the simple message of space things out over the course of the day make sure that you're not as often as possible try to make a meal a meal not these little snacks not these little like you know trips and uh, tips and shortcuts in a zingers package at the gas station as your lunch like a full meal is going to provide better satiety over the course of the day it's going to provide better energy levels and behind the scenes diabetic or not it's going to control your blood sugars better and that is only going to lead for better long-term outcomes. And so, yeah, you, you know, you and I talked about this a number of times over, I don't know, however much stretch of time. And it is one of those things that seems like a, you know, like when you bring this up to people and talking with them, it's like, oh, I never knew that. And so I thought this would make a really great podcast topic because I'll bet a lot of people out there didn't know that's how it worked well and i, I will add a, a slight caveat when i was talking about the, kind of the order that i eat things for the regular person you eat something your body recognizes how many carbohydrates there are and your pancreas delivers insulin to your bloodstream and wham it's all taken care of because i use an insulin pump i've got a 15 to 25 minute delay of that insulin getting in my system so what i try to do when i'm I've been pretty consistently eating the same breakfast now for the last four or five months. So when I am getting ready to make breakfast, I will bolus my insulin for that meal then. Then I'll prepare that meal and then I'll eat it in that order so that by the time, because it's, it's only because I'm trying to be efficient with my time between work, baby, all the other stuff that happens in life, um, just to say like, okay, if I'm going to, bolus prepare the food and by that time and i work through these things in this order that by the time i get to the carbohydrates 
that insulin should be hitting my system and I should have a pretty even response to things. So like you said, it's not like here's the puzzle pieces that need to fit together. And if you eat them out of order, you're, you're ruined. You know, I do think that eating things in an order for a diabetic, just from the perspective of, you know, being behind the eight ball of that insulin being in your system is helpful. It's more than just that, right? It's that it's the whole picture. And because for you, you press a button, right? That so describe that describe why there's a 25 minute delay because of kind of the order in which you do stuff. Yeah. So when I eat, I calculate the carbohydrates or potentially other factors like, you know, I'll use insulin when I'm, if I do have a whey protein shake or if I'm eating egg whites, I have to factor in some amount of, of insulin, which, you know, when I was in the hospital diagnosed with diabetes, they're like, you only need insulin for carbs. And it was like, sweet, you know, I don't need to worry about it for other stuff, fried chicken or egg whites or different foods. All of a sudden you're like, man, this is crazy. And so when I have a meal, I calculate those things, enter that into my insulin pump and I deliver a big, big in quotes, you know, whatever it ends up being dose of insulin, that insulin has to go through my fat on my body and be absorbed. And so it takes, you know, instead of regular person senses food, pancreas to bloodstream, this is, I've got to calculate it. I've got to push the buttons, deliver it, and then wait 15 to 30 minutes for that insulin to start working and be absorbed through those fat cells. So there's just like a, there's a buffer there. I can't, I mean, I can, I have plenty of times seen a piece of pizza, eaten that piece of pizza, and then figured out how much I'm insulin I'm going to give. Unless it's just like a really great lucky day, I get a big spike. You know, so trying to figure out that order of operations to mitigate that spike, regular non-diabetic person would have. But yeah, that's why like I've done it in that order. Tried to implement that a little bit more regularly into my day to day. You know, it doesn't always work that way. That was a big help in rounding out meals and trying to time things appropriately with my bolus help me get much better control on my numbers. Yeah. So everything that he is describing, if for the, for the non-diabetic, the non-type one diabetic, that's going on behind the scenes, right? Like that's just happening and something that all of us are taking for granted. And so like the delay and the order is because of that, which again is, I mean, that's like, that's just Paul's foresight to know that it takes that amount of time and then to space those things in that order. That's something that he sort of came up with and implemented on his own and, you know, led to those changes that all the changes that he made led to lowest A1C in 24 years. So awesome job, man. I appreciate you jumping on and kind of behind providing some behind the scenes look at that stuff. I don't know if you've got anything else that you would implement and, you know, things that you've things that you've done to notice the biggest difference in your energy levels um or no i mean i i appreciate you having me on thank you for all your help one thing that was always just kind of was in the back of my mind was the fiber side of things from the perspective of you'll hear well it's got 13 grams of fiber so you subtract that from the carbohydrates i've seen like you know regular folks maybe disregard those fiber carbohydrates don't do that if you're a diabetic those carbohydrates will still bite you in the butt if you don't <laughs> account for them. You know, I think it was like this 
when I started, you know, shifting my diet a little bit, my wife had bought these keto friendly uh, tortillas that were like such high fiber. It was essentially no carbohydrates, you know, no carbohydrates in quotes. And I remember texting Kyle, I was like, Hey, do you have a recommendation on these things? Like, what does this mean? Those are carbohydrates. <laughs> Make sure you account for them. And I did. And I didn't have an issue. That was something that, you know, I'd heard for, you know, you hear people talk about fiber in relation to carbohydrates. And in my mind, you know, I think our non-diabetic bodies just process it and handle it. Um, but it was always in the back of my mind. And so that was something that was just funny through being more aware of things through this process, the questions that can come up, but yeah, just eating those, those balanced mixed meals has been a game changer, especially working into a deficit and still trying to train hard and hunt and backpack and do all that stuff. I've been able to keep energy levels relatively high and kind of stay in the same sphere of strength. I've been able to put forth the effort to maintain that, you know, that strength long-term and uh, it's pretty exciting. And yeah. And I mean, getting all to your credit and even strength, like strength can be relative, right? When when you weigh less, you're naturally not going to be able to lift as much. But if you look at percent of total body weight, it usually grows for some people. And again, like you said, as you transition towards maintenance, that's only going to improve, but to the to the fiber to the fiber thing and the carbohydrates like you you will often see this labeled on a package as net carbon take and so you'll get a company take the total carbohydrates they'll subtract the fiber and then they'll give you a net carb and then they base their calories and the carbohydrate content on fat the biggest problem with that is that's not how the body works <laughs> right and so you get you get some some really false numbers and looking at that and people will say like why well, is that legal it's legal because when you look at the total carbohydrates on a package it's taking into account the starch in that product the sugar in that product and the fiber fiber is theoretically a quote indigestible carbohydrate and so they can eliminate that at, from the total count the problem is it still yields calories and still can affect blood sugars as you've alluded to um so you it's it's not quite the full story to be able to say like oh well let's just subtract them and act like they don't exist they do exist and so you be sure that you know you're not eating a ton of those because it can definitely throw off your goals and i've seen it like people who buy a lot of products based off of net fiber which is usually some of those keto specialty products have a ton of stomach problems because their body's trying to process 60 70 grams of of fiber in a day and so like we'll you'll get to talking to them and you'll say you know let's let's aim for like 20 grams in a day just you know, scale back how much of those products you're eating let's see if it gets better because a lot of times they're full of sugar alcohols too which can really wreck the gut and lo and behold, they they start eating normal tortillas instead of keto tortillas, and they they feel better. So, yeah, nutrition's not as straightforward as just calorie counting. It's not as straightforward as um, you know, I don't know, whatever all of everybody says is easy. There are some nuances, but yeah, it's less of it's less magical than it might seem, but there are some small things that can make a, a pretty profound difference in your day-to-day -day life. So 
Paul, thanks again for coming on. If people want to find you and some of the stuff that you've got out there for resources that I think are excellent, where is that at? Yeah. If you want to check out my stuff, you can check me out at Paul underscore Kemper or the wild diabetic on Instagram and the wild diabetic.com. Cool. Thanks for coming, Paul. Thanks so much, Kyle. Talk to you soon. I want to be sure to say thank you to Paul for joining me on the episode. I hope that you got some practical tips that you can apply in your daily life to bring about better energy levels. And sure, maybe it brings about some better blood sugars, but all in all, hopefully it helps you to feel like you're able to enjoy life at the highest potential that you can. If you have any questions for us, you can send those over to info at v2pnutrition.com. If there's episodes, topics, things of uh, about nutrition that you want us to cover on an episode, we would be more than happy to do those. Again, the email address is info at v2pnutrition.com. If you're interested in any of the resources that we've got, those are all over at our website at, you guessed it, v2pnutrition.com. We will be back again here in a couple of weeks with another episode. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week, everyone.